Welcome to another great week here on Brit David Podcast. We are glad that you have chosen to join us as Pastor Tim shares a message from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, entitled One Nation Under Greed. In 1956, President Dwight Eisenhower signed into law the establishment of our national motto, In God We Trust. Two years prior, on Flag Day, 1954, he signed into law the insertion of the phrase, under God, into the Pledge of Allegiance. One nation under God. Sadly, it seems that it is gold we trust and that we have become one nation under greed. Here's Pastor Tim. Hope you have your Bible today. If you'll take it, turn with me to Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12, from time to time, we will refer to our nation, to America, as a Christian nation. The reason we do that is because years and years ago, a group of our founding fathers gathered together and put together a government that's of the people, by the people, for the people, but a nation that is built and founded on Christian principles. That doesn't take a doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out <laughs> that, uh, that we've strayed from that, hadn't we? From time to time, people will say, well, you know, if a calamity were to happen, you know, if there really were some kind of national tragedy, then we would return to our roots. You know, we would go right back and we would, we would find God again and we would make Him number one once again. What we found at 9-11 was about two weeks' worth of that. What we have found with national calamity and tragedy in the last 50 years has not been a genuine revival or a return back to the Lord. Instead, it has been a short-term, short-lived turnaround for a moment appease my conscience, and move on. Back in the Civil War, has the nation ever been as divided as it is when brother goes against brother? But during the Civil War, when the nation was just as divided as possible, a group of people began to write to the Secretary of the Treasurer, Salmon Chase, writing to him that we needed, even on our currency, some kind of acknowledgement of whose we are, that we are a Christian nation and that we belong to the Lord. One of the very first letters that Secretary Chase received was by a preacher in Ridleyville, Pennsylvania. His name was M.R. Watkinson. This letter is dated November the 13th, 1861. Listen to what he writes. Dear Sir, you are about to submit your annual report to the Congress respecting the affairs of the national finances. One fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form on our coins. He said, you are probably a Christian. What if our republic were not shattered beyond reconstruction? 
Would not the antiquaries of succeeding centuries rightly reason from our past that we were a heathen nation? In other words, there's no acknowledgement of God even on those things that often will last and that archaeologists will dig up. When they dig up our coins, what then will they learn about us? And the pastor is saying to the secretary, they're going to determine that we're not a people of God. He begins to describe in this letter what he thinks is a most appropriate coin. He concludes his letter this way. This would make a beautiful coin to which no possible citizen could object. (laughs) He doesn't live today, does he? This would relieve us from the ignominy of heathenism This would place us openly under the divine protection we have personally claimed. From my hearth, I have felt our national shame in disowning God as not the least of our present national disasters. To you first, I address this subject that must be agitated. Can you imagine today sitting down and writing a letter to Janet Yellen and asking her to to put something on our money that acknowledges our dependence upon God. Can you imagine what kind of reception you might receive? Can you imagine what kind of response you might get? And in our situation today, can you imagine how long it would take to get a response? In a letter dated November the 20th, One week later, 1861, Salmon Chase writes a letter to a man named James Pollock. He was the director of the Mint in Philadelphia. He said this, Dear Sir, No nation can be strong except in the strength of God, nor safe except in His defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause a device to be prepared without unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and tersest words possible this national recognition. It took Congress a little while to catch up. It took them three years. In 1864, they approved of this. And we began to inscribe each one of our coins with the motto, In God We Trust. It took 90 years, however before President Eisenhower finally signed into law that this, in God we trust, would be our national motto. It seemed to be in keeping with who President Eisenhower was. It was just two years before that that he had the words under God inserted into our Pledge of Allegiance. One nation, under God, with a national motto, in God we trust. My, how far we've come. It seems today as if we are more one nation under greed, that our national motto would be, in gold we trust. And it seems as if it's the same in the church as it is in the world. We still get all we can, can all we get, and then sit on the can. We just wait, trying to gather more and more 
and more. One nation under greed is who it seems that we have become. The passage where you are today in Luke chapter number 12, as we work our way verse by verse through this, we come today to verse number 13. And what we find immediately in this interruption in this chapter is the problem with greed. I want you to know that first and foremost today. There is a problem with greed. There's a problem with greed, and it shows up in the life of this one man who speaks out from amidst the crowd. Look, if you will, in verse number 13. The Bible says, Then one from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Where in the world did that come from? It's almost as if he's been in that crowd listening to these first 11 verses as Jesus teaches, waiting for Jesus to take a breath. And as soon as Jesus takes a breath, man, he wants to insert exactly what he wants out of life. You know? He wants to insert his wish list. What he wants Jesus simply to do for him. Where does this come from? It does obviously come from an episode that's going on in their family. Apparently there is some strife, there is an argument that's taking place, at least among the brothers, about what is owed to him concerning their parents' inheritance. Now, have you ever been to a funeral or ever been associated with people who fight right before the funeral? Sometimes during the funeral, oh boy, for a long time after the funeral, because they're fighting over what mom and dad had and how that ought to be allocated to the different children, the cousins, the great-grand-cousins, the friend of the plumber of the cousin who, you know, I don't know, you know, <laughs> seems like everybody tries to get the hand in there somehow, isn't it? Well, that's what he's doing. He's fussing with his brother about the inheritance in which what each one of them is going to gain, so to speak. And he wants Jesus to fix it. Much the same way that we take those same kind of prayers to the Lord, he's bringing this prayer to the Lord. And whereas we might look at this chapter and say, where in the world did that come from? It makes you wonder if Jesus sitting in heaven hears the prayers of our people and simply asks, where in the world did that come from? Why would he be asking me, such a thing as that. Look at Jesus' initial response. Look at what he says in verse number 14. But Jesus said to the man, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, he assumes, I guess, that Jesus is going to see it his way. We always do, don't we? He assumes that Jesus is going to see it his way, and he's going to tell that brother what he needs to do, and that brother's going to do it now just because Jesus says that. The truth of the matter is, is that when it comes to the legalities of inheritance, Jesus is not an arbitrator. Jesus doesn't have a legal right, if you will, to tell that brother what to do with that money. Now, we know and we understand that Jesus is Lord and he has authority to tell us what to do with our money no matter what it is. But he is not approaching Jesus as the Lord. He is approaching Jesus simply as a celebrity. 
He's approaching Jesus as somebody through whom, a vehicle through which he can get his way. Now, let me tell you, there's a problem with that. There's a problem when we try to use Jesus for our own means. When we try to use Jesus for our own gain. When we want him to buckle his system, his agenda, his priorities, his plan for our life so that he might do what we want him to do. You see, the problem in this particular case is that here's a man who has not yet learned that you can't serve both God and mammon. We try, don't we? We know Jesus said that. We'll even go to the verses. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God in wealth or money, material things. You know what those mean. And yet we still try. We try to walk that fence. And the reality is, is that in trying to do so, you really begin to show where your allegiances are and where your heart is. You see, the problem with greed is not a wallet problem. The problem with greed is a heart problem. This man is more interested in what he might receive than being right with his very own brother. Sometimes we're far more interested in having stuff than we are in having a right relationship with brothers and sisters in the family, with brothers and sisters within the body. I want to tell you something. There is a problem with greed, and boy, does it grow like gangrene that begins in the toe and works its way up the leg. Greed begins in the heart and works its way all the way through a person's body. There's a problem with greed. Number two, I want you to see that there is a principle against greed. There's a principle against greed that already exists in your Bible. And there's a principle against greed that Jesus wants to give to this man right away. But I want you to notice something with me as verse number 15 first opens. Look as it says this. But Jesus, or and Jesus, said to them. Go back a verse. Go back to verse 14 for just a moment. Remember the man comes to Jesus. Jesus, tell my brother to give me my stuff. Verse number 14. But Jesus said to him, I'm not an arbitrator. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a financier. I'm not a banker. I'm not the, you know, I'm not the executor of this will. But in verse number 15, he said to them, Why didn't he tell this to the man? You already know, don't you? Because his heart is already where his heart is. His heart is in his wallet. And the only thing that's going to make him feel better, the only thing that he wants to hear from Jesus is, yes, sir. <laughs> the only thing he wants to hear from Jesus is, I'm going to do what you ask of me to do. He's not interested in a principle. He's not interested in a story. He's not even interested in truth. He is only interested in what he can gain for himself. Sadly, this man himself is going to become the object for the rest of the crowd to understand what Jesus is trying to say. 
So rather than turn his attention simply to this man, Jesus turns his attention to the crowd from which this man was once a part. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the substance or the abundance of the things he possesses. That's the principle. That's the principle. But where did Jesus get this from? (laughs) The Bible is riddled with this very same principle. You go back to the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment begins, You shall not covet. Right? You shall not covet. But that's not the end of that verse, is it? He says, you shall not covet. And then God begins to list a whole series of things and finishes it up by saying, or anything that is your neighbor's. You are not to covet anything that's not yours. That's what he's saying. In the book of Habakkuk, the prophet said, woe to him who covets. David himself writes in the Psalms, listen to this, he says, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. Listen to this. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. Boy, it's almost like David's read Luke chapter 12. You're going to see it come to bear before we're through in this passage today. Exactly what David has to say. And so Jesus is is saying to this crowd, listen, the words of the Old Testament are still true. Covetousness has a problem. Your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you have. Look at the life of Achan. Who, who brought disaster not, upon him, not just upon himself and upon his family, but against all of Israel for disobeying God because he wanted some of the loot to hide under his tent. Talk to King Saul about the disaster that his life became as he drove himself mad with greed. Talk to Judas. Even one of the twelve, probably in this crowd himself, who was developing a heart of greed right along with this certain man. Later on, you're going to get to read about Ananias and how because of his love of money and love of having things, was willing not only to lie to the Holy Spirit, but to lie to the church about what he had and what God had blessed him with. Church, your life does not consist of the things that you own. Take everything that you own away. And who are you? Take everything that you have away. And whose are you? What you begin to discover is who you are and whose you are is far more important than any amount of stuff that you could ever have. That's the principle. That's the principle behind greed. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his message from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, entitled, One Nation Under Greed. 
Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at britdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.